Jesus is talking in these verses, Jesus actually is restructuring our understanding of family in these three verses. He's talking about what it means to be part of his family. And he's suggesting to us that just as I could recognize Katie's footsteps across the driveway, so he recognizes those who are truly members of his family. Uh, this passage of scripture, even though it's pretty brief, may be a bit of a, of a challenge for us this morning in that Jesus is somewhat confrontational in these words. Uh, and yet there's also uh, an opportunity. There's, a, there's an open door, so to speak, and that Jesus is inviting you and me to consider what it means to live in his family. So with that in mind, let's look at uh, Luke chapter 8, verses 19 through 21. Hear the word of God. Then his mother, uh, Luke is writing about Jesus. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, and they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone. Be glory. Let's pray again. Father, as we come to study uh, your living and breathing word, we come from many different backgrounds and many different sets of circumstances. Lord, some of us have had a, a wonderful week and, and a great uh, family time or maybe a real productive time in, in business, uh, while others of us, Lord, may be in broken relationships that just seem so harmful or painful, or others of us may have gotten some disappointing news that we weren't prepared to hear. Lord, we, we come from all over the spectrum when it comes to uh, what's going on in our lives, and I can't pretend to begin to know all the needs that are represented in the, in the faces in this congregation this morning. But Lord Jesus, you know each and every one of us. And you know the one thing that we have in common is our need to know you better. Is our need to be rescued by the Savior. And so as we come to your word, Lord Jesus, we pray that, uh, that you would set aside uh, my inability or or my misrepresentation of anything I might have gotten wrong, Lord, that you would forgive me of my sin, that it wouldn't stand in the way, and that you would be our teacher, that we would hear your word this morning. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, as you look at this passage of Scripture, it might kind of just rub you the wrong way. It might just kind of be like a little pebble in your shoe, because it sounds like Jesus is offering a, a mild rebuke as if he's saying, you know, how dare my mother or my, my brothers presume uh, to interrupt my ministry. Let me, let me tell you who my real mother and brothers are. They're not the real ones. And I, and I want us to be careful as we begin this study to understand that that really is a, is a misunderstanding of Jesus's attitude. Jesus is not disowning his family in this passage. He's not saying they're of no consequence. If you think about when this happened in the life uh, in the ministry of Jesus, it, w- it was really at a time where he was at a pinnacle of popularity uh, all over uh, Israel. And there were literally thousands of people that were flocking to him. Uh, And yet, if you look at the moment of deepest despair in his life, it was on the cross. And at that moment, as he hung on the cross and as he he experienced spiritual and physical and emotional pain that you and I will never experience for those of us who are in Christ, what did he do? He looked at his mother and he saw John, the the apostle, standing there and he said, uh, woman, behold your son and son, behold uh, your mother. In other words, he was taking care of his mom. She was important to him. 
She was a a crucial person in his life. If you go and you read the first chapter of Acts, after Jesus has ascended into heaven and he's given his disciples instructions to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes, you see this list of people that are waiting. And it's the disciples and it's different women that are actually mentioned earlier in uh, in Luke chapter 8. And then Luke tells us that Jesus' mother and his brothers were there in the upper room waiting on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit arrived. They had been converted. They believed they put their faith in Jesus. That didn't happen because he was rude to them and he didn't want to have anything to do with them. He loved them dearly. But Jesus is doing something radically different that we must not miss. And it's simply this. He is expanding our understanding of the family. Jesus says, my family is a family where we welcome all takers. Uh, there's no preset limit. There's no, there's no preset uh, number that we have that you can't come if you're not uh, the one that I kind of look at and think I like you. Jesus says that, that this family is open to anyone who will put their faith in me. He says that in in different ways all throughout the gospel of Luke. But remember the theme of Luke, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And Jesus is, is showing us his heart this morning in this verse. And he's basically saying, any of you who are willing to hear and do are welcome. Think about in, in uh, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, John three sixteen. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. He's having this conversation with a really religious guy who thinks he's getting it. Jesus says, you're not getting it at all, Nicodemus. You don't, you've missed the point that it's about faith. And he says in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. She says the doors are flung wide open. I'm not tightening down the, the identity of my family, but rather I am expanding it to all who will put their faith in me. I was reminded of, of this last night. Cindy and I had the chance to, uh, to attend the Urban K-Life fundraiser. In fact, Pastor Gill, who was on the screen in the video, uh, hosted a table and we had a chance to join. He and Don had a, had a fun evening, but um, I was just reminded as I listened to the stories of the students, as they talked about how they had been introduced to Jesus through K-Life uh, in the inner city of St. Louis. And I said, you know what? God's family is so much bigger than my little corner of the world at Green Tree. The spirit of God, the, the, the offer to come into family is alive and well in the city of St. Louis. A little uh, over a year ago, Cindy and I had the opportunity to travel with several folks in our congregation to go to South Africa and to be in the Cape Flats. And there, again, an incredible poverty that you and I will probably never experience in our lives. The gospel was moving forward in a powerful way, and the family of God was being expanded. Uh, We did uh, the conference this week, Christianity Explored, and last Sunday, Rico Tice, a gentleman from London, England, pastor there, stood up and talked about how they were traveling all over the world to share the gospel and how they were using uh, this tool called Christianity Explored to introduce people to Jesus. The kingdom of God, the family of God is expanding. And Jesus is saying, it's not just my physical mother and brothers who are part of the family, but it's something much greater than that. And if you're going to be my disciple, you need to get that. Why do we need to get that? Well, one of the reasons we need to get that is we tend to get real comfortable with a small group of people around us who are just like us. And we don't spend our time and our energy trying to branch out of that. In fact, a lot of times we get a little bit uncomfortable when we talk about branching out of that. And we want to stay in our own little comfort group. And yet Jesus says, my kingdom is moving forward. My family is expanding. Are you going to partner with me in that? 
The church of Jesus Christ in the 21st century needs to remember that truth, that Jesus is growing his family, not shrinking it down, not finding ways for people to choose not to be part, but rather looking under every nook and cranny we possibly can to find opportunities to invite others to become brothers, sisters, mothers, and fathers in the kingdom of God. The family of Jesus is expanding, but also the family of Jesus has a very specific identity. Jesus says, you want to know who are my my brothers and, and my mother? I'll tell you who those folks are. Jesus identifies his followers, not as servants, not as slaves, not as helpers, but he identifies his disciples as family members. Now, I stopped and thought about that. Why did, why did Jesus do that? Why didn't he just say, well, my servants are, or my disciples are. Jesus is, is very comfortable with the term disciples. But here he chooses this term mother and brothers. Well, partially because uh, of his family being present. But I also think it's because he understands that offspring look an awful lot like mom and dad. They look an awful lot like siblings look an awful lot like each other. My mom will say to me occasionally, we'll be talking or I'll be doing something. She'll say, boy, you remind me of my dad. Why is that? Because the bloodline is the connection. And I look a little bit or act a little bit like my grandfather. Uh, last night, Cindy and I were driving home uh, from the banquet and uh, we were driving through Kirkwood. I said, boy, it's a great night. Why don't we go sit out in front of Ben and Jerry's? Uh, now, I, I told you that, you know, kind of snacks are disappearing in our house, and it's, we're now starting to get in shape in the summer and do a little more exercise and eat a little bit more sweets. And she's like, you're trying to pull a fast one while Katie's not here. <laughs> and I'm going to say, you know, it would just be so nice to have time with you, and we could just enjoy one another. And she's like, you're just so, you're just so manipulating me. You guys, you and Katie are so alike. The, and I said, well, Katie ought to be proud that she's like her daddy, you know. Why? But you can, you can see it because, because families look like one another. Jesus, as he says, if you want to know what it means to be my mother and brother, those are the people that hear the word of God and do it. Jesus wasn't saying that from the position of a spectator. (laughs) Jesus was saying that as our older brother who had heard the word of God and was doing it. He was completing that. He was being obedient to his father. He looked a lot like his dad. If you go to John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples the night he's going to be betrayed, and he's kind of just giving them the end, the last message, and the things they need to know. And at one point, he's talking about God, his Father in heaven, and Philip looks at him and says, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus, I almost feel like Jesus kind of hits himself in the, in the forehead. God, like, I can't believe this. Philip, you've been with me all this time. Don't you know that when you've seen me, you've seen the Father? Why? because there's a family resemblance. And Jesus says, if you're going to be part of my family, then you need to look like the Father. Families reflect the character and priorities of their parents. It's not a surprise that that moms or dads who are really into sports have kids that are really into sports. And moms and dads that are really into music have kids that are really into music. And moms and dads that live for wealth end up breeding greedy children. Why? Because the apple doesn't far fall from the tree. Did I say that right? Fall far from the tree. There are too many F's in that sentence. You get my point. And Jesus says, I'm here to do the will of my Father, and if you're going to be part of my family, that is your identity. At Green Tree, we claim that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. A lot of us do that individually, and we do that corporately every Sunday when we gather together. This table represents that statement. 
When we celebrate communion, we're saying that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. His body was broken. His blood was shed so that we could have forgiveness. He is the Savior and He is the Lord. But when we leave these doors, when we go out into the community, when we interact in our offices and in the schools of the halls of our schools, our neighborhoods, over the back fence, somebody who lives next door to us, do people see that identity? Has anybody ever said to you, you know, you remind me of somebody. Let me think about it for a minute. Hold on, I'm going to get it. Oh, yeah, that's right. You look an awful lot like your older brother, Jesus. That's who you remind me of. Has anybody ever said that to you? Now, I'm stretching it just a bit to make a point, but do you see where we're going? Jesus says that there's a family connection. And if you're going to be my follower, I'm going to look at you as a family member. You're going to be identified with our family. Not only is Jesus trying to grow and expand the kingdom, but he's trying to identify very clearly the family. And then he says, if you're going to be part of my family, there's some expectations in this family. He answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Uh, uh, there's, there's a functionality to a family. By definition, families have to work in a certain way. At our house, we say we've put the fun back in dysfunction. But the facts are you can't be dysfunctional over the long haul and get a lot of things wrong and really operate as a healthy family. You've got to have some basic ground rules that everybody is is working with. There is a role to play for dads, for moms, and for children, for grandchildren. There's a part for each one of us to play. And Jesus says, my family is exactly the same way. And the first part of being in my family is simply being a good listener to the head of the family. Those who are my mother and my brothers hear the word of God. Friends, are we listening? Are we listening for our Father's word in our lives? Am I actively seeking to pay attention to what God wants to say to me? As I pick up the the, the Bible and I read it, am I reading it with the understanding that this is my heavenly Father speaking to me? If Jesus walked into my office tomorrow morning and sat down across from me and said, Tom, I want to tell you a few things, he wouldn't tell me anything different than is found on the pages of Scripture. Do I treat it that way? You know, when I read the Bible on Sunday mornings here, I I finish it and I always say, this is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. I don't say that because it's a neat little ditty and it sounds kind of nice and you know that the Bible reading's over and we're going to get into the sermon. I say that because it's the truth. Because this is God's word. He is the only one who is to be glorified. This book has the weight of all eternity resting upon it. It's the only ultimate truth that we will find this side of heaven. Am I listening? Do I listen for God's voice when I talk to my brothers and sisters in Christ? Do I listen for God's voice when I'm praying? Jesus says, if you want to be in my family, you have to understand your first role is to be a listener. Not a listener who puts his hands or her hands on her hips and says, prove it to me, but rather a listener who is anticipating that what their father says is true and that they can believe it because the next step beyond listening is doing. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. (laughs) Pretty simple and yet pretty profound. After I listen, after I hear, Do I joyfully submit to my father? Do I acknowledge that 
His authority is the authority that's going to rule in my life. Now, friends, I'm not saying don't ask questions about the Bible. Don't, don't misunderstand my point here. When you get into your community groups and you get into the Sunday school classes here, when you get into to your Bible studies, when you're doing it on your own, your own study, you should be asking questions. You absolutely need to ask questions. You need to understand Scripture. If you don't get it, you need to get with somebody who's further along in the faith. And you say, hey, I'm reading in Romans, and I don't get this, the, this whole thing that, that Paul's talking about, no condemnation in chapter 8. What is that all about? You need to ask those questions, but you need to ask it as a child who is longing to get the right information in order that he or she might be a loving child in their family. One who says, I want to follow my Father's will because I know after listening to Him that He loves me. Because I've read it over and over and over again. That my Father in heaven loves me enough that He let my older brother Jesus die on the cross for me. I get it. Now what do I do? Am I listening with that kind of attitude? Let me give you just a couple of thoughts here as we wrap this up. The first step in doing the Word, because we could talk about a lot of different things this morning, but the first step in doing the will of God is to put your faith in Christ. Jesus is talking to a bunch of people one day in John chapter 6, and he's claiming to be the Messiah, saying, you need to put your faith in me, just like I'm explaining this morning, only much more eloquently, I'm sure. And a couple of guys come up to Jesus and they say, well, what do we have to do to do the work of God, do the works of God? What does God require of us? Okay, you know, kind of hear the Word and do it. And Jesus says this, the work of God is to believe in the one he sent. So your first step this morning that you have to wrestle with before you do anything else in the family of God is say, do I believe that Jesus is both Savior and Lord? If you haven't gotten past that step, you're still in in the hearing part, but you can't possibly get to the doing part. Because the first thing you do is you put your faith in Jesus. And I want to encourage every one of us to explore the claims of Christ on a daily basis. Some of us are exploring the claims of Christ as disciples, as brothers and sisters in Christ. What does that mean to follow him? Others of us are saying, you know what? I haven't yet put my faith in Christ. I've heard, but that's the first thing I need to do before I move forward. But beyond that then, is there a joyful attitude of following? Is there a desire for obedience in my life? Not a, not a critical questioning, but, but rather a, a desire and a longing for following Christ. Do I wake up in the morning and go, boy, I really hope that in some way today I can look like my older brother Jesus. Might be something as simple as loving my neighbor as myself. Might be something simply as saying, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give of my time. I'm going to sign up for 2028 because I want to serve in the name of Jesus. I'd be saying, you know what, I want to give some of my finances to help out in some way. It could be in very simple things. It could be in saying, you know what, today, uh, maybe you're, you're a dad or you're a mom. Today, I'm going to love my kids well in the name of Christ. Maybe as a child, you say, today, I'm going to obey my parents in Jesus. And that might be a radically new thing for you to consider. But do I, in the very simple things, in the day in and day out living, have a desire to hear the word of God? and then to do it. Jesus's family is expanding. And yet this following, this doing the will of God, I know is a tall order. And I simply want to remind you that in John chapter 14, on that same night when Jesus had that that talk with Philip about being uh, the representation of the father, Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going away, but I'm not leaving you alone. 
I'm going to send a helper and he's going to lead you into all truth. He is the spirit of truth. And so if you're sitting here this morning going, you know, the do it part has been coming hard to me. I just, I'm not, I'm not quite hitting on all eight cylinders there. I want to remind you something you may have forgotten that the Holy Spirit, if you're a disciple of Jesus, rests in your heart. And so as Jesus says, my mother and my brothers are the ones who hear the word of God and do it. He understands that there's enabling power in your life, the person of the Holy Spirit. And part of your prayer time, part of your hearing the word of God, perhaps needs to be Holy Spirit, teach me something. Holy Spirit, give me an attitude of submissiveness to God's word and to God's authority in my life. But friends, you're not in it alone. You have brothers and sisters in Christ, but we also have the spirit who testifies with our spirit because Jesus is growing a family and his family identifies with him. And Jesus expects his his family to reflect his father just as he expected that of himself and empowers us by the spirit to do so. So have you been listening? Are you willing to listen this week? As I come to my Bible and I open, up, open it up and I say, Father, teach me something. I want to hear what you're saying because then I want to respond by doing, by trusting you, by following you, by honoring you uh, in my life. Uh, I told you before, when I get on airplanes, I like to be left alone. <laughs> in fact, when I get on airplanes, I typically take a big book. <laughs> and the first thing I do after I get down in my seat is I open it up and I start reading it so there's no misunderstanding. There are no mixed signals about who I want to talk to or who I don't want to talk to. So I'm flying home from Atlanta about a week or so ago, and I've got a book, literally about an 800-page book, and I open it up. I sit down, and uh, this woman comes and sits down next to me. There's just two seats on this side of the airplane, and she did not get the body language at all. (laughs) She just shot right through that wall, said, hey, what are you reading? So I mentioned what I was reading and then went back to reading, you know, thought that'll be it. She's like, oh, I've read this and I've read that. And literally for, because from the time they, we were on the plane till the time we got off the plane was probably two hours and 20 minutes. We had a nonstop conversation. Now, here's how the conversation started after we got past what book are you reading? What do you do for a living? Well, I'm a pastor at a church in Kirkwood. She goes, oh, a pastor? Are you not wearing a collar? Are you, are you a Protestant or something? <laughs> Yeah, Presbyterian Protestant. Yeah, yeah, I'm a Protestant. She goes, oh, I hate Protestants. <laughs> I'm thinking this 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 conversation's got nowhere to go but up. This so now I'm closing my book. I'm like, all right, now I got I got a challenge on my hands. So I have to defend the entire Reformation in the last <laughs> 600 years before we get from Atlanta to St. Louis. And we talked about everything under the sun. But the most important thing we talked about was Jesus. The most important thing I said to her, whether it sunk in or not, was that she needed a savior. And I thought for a moment when I got off the plane, I thought maybe, just maybe I heard the word of God and, and did it for a change. I want more of that in my life. I don't, I don't want less of that. I want more of that in my life. I handed her my business card. I said, if you ever need a, a Protestant pastor in Kirkwood, give me a call. <laughs> there are a lot more funny stories than that story in and of itself that I could share with you, but I won't this morning. But do I approach life that way? Do you approach your life that way? You get up in the morning, you get on your knees, we get on our knees and say, Father, I don't want to just hear it today. I want to do it. I'm going to expose myself to what you want to say. You know, I want to hear, you know, fire away. But at the end of the day, is Green Tree Community Church going to be a, a place that's filled with people who really are the brothers and sisters of Jesus? 
because we hear the word of God and we do it. Let's pray together. Do uh, or live in a way that he didn't.